we have an awesome, awesome announcement to make. Dole Whip and Dreams is now part of the Certain Point of View Media family. That's right, we are now part of a network with some incredible, incredible content and content creators. You can check out our entire network of shows over at CertainPOV.com. You can find them on Twitter, and you can also join our Discord where all of our shows, you can interact and hear more about every episode. Welcome back, dreamers. Today, I'm joined by author and podcast host Patrick Edwards as we take a deep dive into the most noble of thieves, Robin Hood. As I discussed in our last episode, the 1970s were a time where Disney was trying to rebuild and rebrand after the death of Walt Disney and was finding difficulty moving forward. The 1970 release of the Aristocats was a resounding success, so it was decided during this time that the next animated feature should be based on a classic story. But like many Disney films, this wasn't the first time that this story was going to be attempted to be produced. A story from the 12th century called Reynard the Fox was going to be produced as an animated feature in 1938, but it was deemed that Reynard was not quite the suitable hero for the Disney audience. And when the 1950 film Treasure Island was in production, they were going to try and weave this animated story in three sections into the film. But again, it was scrapped. And a decade or so later, it would finally move into development as a feature going so far to even start making some line animation called Chanticleer and Reynard, with Reynard as the villain and giving us a new hero in the form of Chanticleer, uh, which is French for rooster, who would find his roots in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And while Chanticleer and Reynard would be scrapped for the final time by the studio in favor of the Sword in the Stone, its animations wouldn't stay on the cutting room floor for very long. Though, while our animated Robin Hood has always been planned to be packed full of sassy anthropomorphic animals, it was originally going to be reworked in that particular Disney way and be set in the American Wild West, since many of the actors desired for the project had deep southern draws. Disney was still reeling from the poor taste left in everyone's mouth by the infamous Song of the South. It was decided that this may not be the best choice. Robin Hood, as we ultimately know it, took most of its inspiration from the 1952 film The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men. Now, Disney veteran Wolfgang Reitherman would be given the directorial reins of this film, and he had worked on Snow White, Pinocchio, Dumbo, Peter Pan, and he'd even directed Sword in the Stone, Jungle Book, and the Aristocats, so this movie was in good hands. And while Larry Clemens was brought on to write the dialogue script for the movie, it also saw the hands of Ken Anderson, Vance Gary, Frank Thomas, Eric Cleworth, Julius Vendison, and Eric Mikerman. Now, in his book, Walt Disney in Europe, Robin Allen describes Ken Anderson's disapproval of the final development of this film. He wept seeing his characters that he loved turn into animated stereotypes. He had originally written the sheriff to be portrayed as a goat and to play against the traditional ideas of a villain trope, and he even had a vibrant script featuring all the married men, but the studio decided they wanted to kind of lead into this villain trope and have the sheriff of Nottingham be a wolf and make it more of just a buddy movie featuring just Little John, who was originally supposed to be portrayed as a pig, but the studio uh, then was worried about what this would say of implications towards organized religion at the time. 
The cast features a who's who of Disney alum who grace these characters with their iconic voices, though the voice of Robin Hood was originally going to be portrayed by the happiest millionaire actor Tommy Steele, but he was ultimately let go because his voice was not heroic enough. This film ultimately goes down in history for the discussion of its animation. Now, a process called rotoscoping and reuse of older animated figures in animation is nothing new for Disney or animation, period. But this film not only featured the scrapped animation from Chanticleer and Reynard, but it also took animated scenes from Snow White, The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, and Alice in Wonderland. And I will say, this technique has been used for decades, and it still is used today. And while it stands out in this movie, where you can tell where they tried to save some money, some of our favorite Disney films all feature this technique. Though in the long run, it actually didn't save much time or money. Animator Floyd Norman had this to say about it. A lot of the time, reworking this old material was almost more trouble than it was worth. First of all, you had to dig it out. You had to find it. And then you had to see, well, how can I adapt it? How can I reuse this? Which meant a lot of redrawing. It would have been far more effective, at least in my opinion, to just animate it from scratch. With a modest $15 million budget, it brought in just over $32 million. It met mixed critic reviews as Disney was still only looking at their film as children for their target audiences at this time. David Billington from the Montreal Gazette said, as a film, Robin Hood marks a comeback of sorts for the Disney people. Ever since the old maestro died, the cartoon features have shown distressing signs of drop in quality, both in artwork and in voice characterizations. But the blending of appealing cartoon animals with the perfect voices for the part makes Robin Hood an excellent evening out for the whole family. Now, Gene Siskel of the New York Tribune, who is known to be the opinion in movies, well, he at least once was, only gave this movie one and a half stars and described the movie as 80 minutes of pratfalls and nincompoop dialogue. It sits on Rotten Tomatoes with a critic score of 54%, with only 28 reviews, but it has a fan score of 81%, which I still think could be a lot higher. The 1970s were an interesting time because we were seeing the advent of home entertainment beyond what was just on live television for the first time. And Disney wanted nothing to do with this because they didn't want people to be able to record their movies at home for multiple home viewings, which shouldn't surprise anyone. We had seen the creation of the Disney Vault, and every five to ten years they would re-release films into movie theaters, continuing their box office profits for those movies. And after years, when Disney finally caved because they lost a lawsuit against Sony trying to take out both Betamax and the VHS, Disney bit the bullet and joined the companies releasing their movies for home video. They put together a list of Disney films that they called The Untouchables. They would never see home release and would continue to be shown in theaters during this time. Now, Robin Hood and the Aristocats were both on this list, as well as other classics like Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Dumbo Pinocchio, just to name a few. But after a poor re-release of Robin Hood in 1982, it would be the first untouchable film to be released on VHS. And in 1984, they did just that. And it earned $9.6 million in U.S. revenue. And it made an additional $18 million in the international rental market. 
And you might be going, hey, well, we all have home videos of all of these, these movies at this point. But you have to understand, 1984, we saw a changeover completely in Disney leadership. And they were people who were not holding certain Disney things to their heart. Uh, Defunct Land just released an incredible, incredible uh, 30-minute video about this on YouTube. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, it's called The History of the Disney Vault. Now, thanks to Disney+, Plus, Walt Disney's new streaming service offering a huge Disney catalog for a modest $6.99. No, this isn't a sponsorship plug, but hey, if you guys want to throw some coin to us, we will gladly pimp your streaming service. <laughs> Robinhood is in their top list of top 100 most watched content and will live on in the hearts of dreamers like you all for years to come. Disney animator Byron Howard stated that it was one of his favorites, and it was the biggest inspiration for his work on Zootopia. We'll oodle right back after this. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K.A. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Welcome back, dreamers. I have an incredible guest with me today. He's an author. He's a podcaster. He's a Disney dad. Pat Edwards. Pat, welcome to the show, my dude. Thank you for having me. Well, first, I just want to uh, have you introduce yourself to the audience and talk about how, what kind of role Disney plays into your life. Oh, uh, geez. That's, I know it's a big that, question. I know it's a huge <laughs> question. Uh, that's going to be the whole show. Uh, so, yes, I am a, I'd say a writer first and foremost. I have um, one novel out, Space Tripping. It's available in ebook, paperback, and audio. It's an, on Audible as an audiobook. And I've had two short stories published in anthologies. You can also buy on Amazon in ebook and paperback. And my second novel is in production. It's a sequel to Space Tripping. And that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And then as far as uh, podcasting or podcasting, well, I guess let me back up. Sorry. It's been a busy couple of years. I have another project that I finished writing. I uh, actually co-wrote a D&D campaign book awesome. that will go to, that's currently with the production studio right now, and will go to a Kickstarter in the summer. And uh, it's actually based off of uh, an album. Myself and another writer were hired to create a D&D campaign based around, a, it's called the Red Opera. About it's like this orchestral uh -huh. metal <laughs> album from this band, Dia Morte. The album's on Spotify right now. You can listen to it, and they do a live stage uh, show. So we've yeah we've created uh, we we wrote it. It's done. Uh, it's mostly all original content as far as like monsters and items and NPCs and characters and locations. And it will be uh, yeah that'll be that'll be coming out by the end of the year. Holy crap! That is so awesome. <laughs> that is. That is amazing. Um, and you, uh, you do quite a bit with D&D. Uh, &D. Yeah, it's because you uh, also have a – it's a podcast. It's a live cast that is also yeah. a D&D playthrough. Yeah, it's, uh, as far as sort of podcast or podcast-related things. So I do have um, 
the I don't know if you, Maddie, are familiar with Geekly Inc. or the Geekly Inc. network. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I play in a game called the Happy Hell Hour where we're running through Descent into Avernus. And mm. we do that uh, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, their Twitch channel, the Geekly Inc. Twitch channel. All of the episodes are currently up on YouTube as well if you want to catch up. It will come out as a podcast. Tim, our DM, he's, he's saying he just hasn't gotten around to it. He is going to do a big dump and, and put them all out as a podcast as well. But if you really want to check amazing. it out, you can go on YouTube, the Geekly Inc. YouTube page. And then I have another podcast I do with three fantastic people called Let's Rewatch, where we watch movies we loved in our youth and see if they're still any good. And it's a little different from the typical, because we, we're not looking for bad movies and we're not looking mm-hmm. to tear things down. We always go in with positive mindset and we want to like the things that we're going to watch. But if there's, you know, problematic shit or issues, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about it. But mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. it's different about it is a lot of movie podcasts, they've already watched it and they're just talking about it. Ours is, it's, it's right. a longer commitment, but there's two halves to it. Uh, it's kind of done in real time where the first ha- like half of the show, we have not watched the movie yet. And so we talk about mm-hmm. it. We do some trivia, mm-hmm. you know, look up some trivia and some cast and have some predictions. You know, who's seen it? Who hasn't seen it? Is this going to hold up? Is this going to be a shit show? And then we pause the recording and we all go watch the movie right then and there and then hop right mm-hmm. back on mm-hmm. immediately after finishing the movie to talk. And then uh, we talk uh, about uh, it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Let's Rewatch, and that's actually where I uh, first uh, became uh, uh, aware of who you were. And then you've been on our Buddy Cases show and uh, on uh, Rachel and Matt's show over on a certain POV. And so that's, I think, after your first episode with Case that I heard, I binged so many hours of Let's Rewatch. <laughs> and I honest, I went and rewatched so many movies because of, because of, of Let's Rewatch, especially... Um, I did Halloween Horror Nights this year, Universal, uh-huh. and so right before I listened to the Killer Clowns from Outer Space and rewatched, and so, so all our listeners out there, if you want to pause and go subscribe to Let's Rewatch, it is one of my favorite podcasts Wait. out there, and you guys will absolutely love it. So let's talk about Disney because you're not even just into Disney movies; you're a Disney parks guy, uh-huh. which I love. So let's talk about you and Disney, and kind of segue that into why Robin Hood. Yeah, why, why we're talking about Robin Hood today. So- uh, and we'll get to Robin because I know that's the meat of what we're going to talk about yeah. and why yeah. that movie yep. I chose that movie. Uh, Disney Parks. So I'm sort of a latecomer. I actually married into a Disney Parks fanatic family. My wife's family. Ooh. They uh, <laughs> are Disney World fanatics. They, you know, growing up, her and her parents and her brother and sister. They, they've gone. I'm pretty sure at least once a year her entire life to Disney World. <sighs> Oh, that's um, the dream. Her parents were vacation club members. Actually, now my wife and I purchased that from her parents, so we own the vacation club. Oh, now. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And we have two small daughters. So we, and I, I kind of got uh, indoctrinated into that. And I was a little skeptical at first when my wife and I were dating. Mm-hmm. We were in our early 20s, and she invited me to go on their trip. And, and me, you know, it was like a dumb meatheady 20 something i was like well why don't we should go to like mexico and hang out on the beach and just get drunk all day and she just she said shut up and come with and so we went and the first time i went i went one time to disney world as an as a child and liked it just fine um 
I went to the first time I went to Disney World as an adult. We went during the Food and Wine Festival in the fall at Epcot, <sighs> and my mind was blown. I said, "Oh, this is what mm-hmm. it is. We spend ninety percent mm-hmm. of the time just like day drinking and eating, and mm-hmm. then sprinkling yeah. in some childhood nostalgia." She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh, this is amazing." So it's and people don't if you like food, good food and drink, Disney World is. The pl- it has become a foodie paradise. Yes. It, it is yes. so much. That's half of what I look forward to when we go is all the ridiculously good food and cocktails and things. I'm mm-hmm. shoving in my face hole. Um, so we go. We we probably average one you know two trips a year honestly, and we actually got married there in Disney World. Oh, yeah. did you get married at Grand Flow? We yeah, or? we got our ceremony was at the. We're not we're, we're not my wife and I are both raised Catholic, but we're not religious yeah. by any stretch of the means. Yeah. But we got yeah. married. She just thought the venue was gorgeous at that wedding chapel they mm-hmm. have at the Grand mm-hmm. Floridian, and then we mm-hmm. had our reception, and it was also in, during the Food and Wine Festival October. Oh, stop. So we had our reception at, um, I don't know if you're familiar, Maddie. So, you know, at Epcot, there is the, the mm-hmm. Living Seas building with the big aquarium yes. and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the big aquarium you can go into, and it's actually pretty cool. It's this giant cylindrical aquarium that you can walk into the center. So it's kind of 360 degrees mm-hmm. around you. It's pretty, it's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, you really can't see it from the normal area. They actually have a venue, a space. You can have what? meetings. And, yes. So our reception was on the other side of the aquarium. So one whole wall of our reception was the aquarium. Oh, my God. Oh, I bet that was, it am- was I like absolutely it amazing. Was so cool. also, the, the video is cool. Like the there were the scuba guys. They came up and were like mm-hmm. knocking on glass and waving to the little kids that were, you know, the kids that were at the wedding and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Then we did like a dessert party on that. um Whatever you call it, it's like that veranda by the France part of Epcot that kind of juts out into the water mm-hmm, for the fireworks mm-hmm, and all that. Mm-hmm. Awesome day. Yeah. Awesome day. A lot of fun. Um, we, uh, so that's, it's really pretty, you know, it, it's become part of my DNA, Disney World has. Funny thing is, I actually went to Disneyland a lot as a kid because I lived for five, oh. six years in LA when I was very little. Okay. Was like preschool, kindergarten, first grade age. Mm-hmm. And we lived uh, like 30 minutes from Anaheim. So we went there a lot. So I had, I grew up on Disneyland and as an adult, I've been going to Disney world. A lot. Mm-hmm. Have you been back to Disneyland as an adult? Yes. Uh, my wife and I were out in Los Angeles for, she had some work stuff and I had some book, re- you know, some, some work stuff related things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, you know, we have family friends out there, but we, she did, she definitely wanted to, she's like, I got to do Disneyland cause I'm a Disney world fanatic. And she had, yeah. I said, yeah, we'll go. And she, she found it very interesting how, it's, mm-hmm. It was like uh, it was it was almost like a highlight reel of Disney World, you know, because it's all jammed into one mm-hmm, park mm-hmm. essentially, right? Because Disney World is so mm-hmm. massive, and can we swear on this? Yeah, it's expensive. Maddie, I swear on this? Yeah. I, I'm not not that I'm gonna. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can swear. Yeah, everybody can my swear. Default, my this default is setting is Disney. sailor, so I just try to try. Yeah, to no. Despite being Disney, uh, I think this one's way more for the adults than the kids. So yeah, yeah we we say go go with we'll go with where you're okay. If it comes, we, out, we, we yeah. have touched on language over here. <laughs> I, I mean, if people ask me what's my book about, it's about aliens who get drunk and say fuck a lot um yeah <laughs> but uh no so she, she was just very blown away by how it was just different right and they still have toontown in disneyland mm-hmm, they don't have mm-hmm. that in disney world i the, loved toontown yeah. um 
she, you know, and you can tell it's older, right? Like a lot of the things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the castle mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. noticeably smaller than the Disney World Castle, probably because of zoning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she did really like California Adventure, the other park that's there that you can go across. Interesting. Because that's just, that's very unique, right? There's, there's nothing yeah. like that at Disney World. She liked a lot. Yeah. Of, she liked that one a lot as well. She found the, the downtown Disney Strip you know, charmingly quaint. Cause it's just, it's just that one yes. strip. Whereas like now yep. Yep. If anyone who's familiar, what used to be downtown Disney in Orlando, Disney Springs is its own city. Now, basically it's really, it's, it's, it's bonkers. huge. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's Disney's pretty, uh, pretty ingrained. We have a joke, which I, you said you've been listening. We have a recurring joke on, uh, let's rewatch that. I'm basically owned by Disney. They own me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and I'm I'm currently drinking coffee now. Out of, I'm not a collect. I'm not a stuff guy. I'm not like I'm not really. Mm-hmm. Into, I don't really collect things. I don't. I don't know. I just don't. I, I do a lot of digital stuff with my even books. I like physical books. They're great. Mm-hmm. You know. I know that's kind of uh, sacrilegious to say, but I like ebooks because it's easy to organize. I've got it always with me like, mm-hmm. on my phone and an app. I'm just not a physical mm-hmm. stuff guy. However, my one little vice yeah. has been. I love the um, the shape, the weight, the heft. I, I'm a, I love coffee, so we'll start there. Back up, mm-hmm. drink a ton of coffee, enjoy it. It's my favorite, maybe my favorite thing in the world. Um, I'm also very particular about like the mugs. A mug wants to, mm-hmm. you want it to feel comfortable in your hand. You want like the mm-hmm. handle to feel good on you know fingers. I love the Starbucks mugs that they have in all the stores. The shape, mm-hmm. and if you notice, they're all different, right? They're all unique to that location, mm-hmm. and that's just across the country, right? In Ohio or Illinois yeah. or Florida, so there is a Starbucks in the each of the Disney parks, right? In Epcot, in Magic Kingdom, and Animal Kingdom, and mm-hmm. Hollywood Studios, <laughs> and they all have unique mugs that you can only get at that one location in that park. So I have the four original when they first started doing it from each park. And then they did new versions, so I bought those four. And then I realized, okay, they're just going to, they're just, and then when I was buying them, they were saying that, yeah, we got a new one coming in six months. It's like, oh, okay, this is just going to be a thing where they, (laughs) so I'm not, I'm not going to be a completionist with this. So now I just, I think I've got, I said, I think I've got 10, 11, honest, 10, 11 of them. And honestly, now it's just more of a, I'll always, whenever we visit, I'll pop into each of the Starbucks and take a look at the bugs. And if I see one that I really love, like I, love this one of the more recent Hollywood Studios ones that I'm currently drinking it's amazing it's got Star Wars stuff Mm -hmm. Toy Story stuff Indiana Jones stuff all my faves on it Mm -hmm. yeah so so what did you think of the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland uh it's fine like I remember when it first came out because we were still yeah uh you're talking about like the one that's been there for like 20 years right Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I do remember when it first came out, and the lines were ridiculously long. And it, it's it's fine. Those ones where you're on the track, you know, you're just kind of indoors on the track. Yeah, it, and it's very interesting. You can see the like the older school ones and the new ones. Oh yeah, the differences because they're doing some wild stuff with rides now. That that Pandora Avatar stuff and Star Wars. But, oh. Rise of the Resistance is ridiculous. I, Have you gotten to come down since all the Star Wars stuff so opened? So we went. We I was actually there the week it opened in September. Oh, we were yeah. there, and I got up. If you go back and hunt through my Twitter feed, I had kind of like live tweeted my experience. So I got <laughs> up. We were there with my wife and kids, my father in law and my sister in law, and so I wasn't leaving my because I have a two year old and a four year old, so it, they're a handful. <laughs> um, 
So, but there yeah. was a morning. I told her, I said, I need a morning. I will get up what so early and get there. And let me just knock this stuff out. Cause, cause kids, yeah. I love them to death. They're amazing, but it's hard. It's in the parks, right? It's to get in things. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so I got up one morning cause they had early magic hours where they were opening at 6am. I got up, got showered and got over to the park at 530. I was not yeah. the first person. I was maybe the 25th person there at that point. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 5 in the morning on a Tuesday. Um, but it was amazing. The whole, they do a really cool thing. You know, they bring you in and they kind of herd you like cattle, but mm-hmm. they play like the Imperial March and they had uh, some first order stormtroopers come out like an honor guard and like march you back through the park. And they had a bunch of staff doing like a bridge with lightsabers that you walk under and highly recommend Galaxy's Edge is cool. Super recommend it either late at night or, for, or early in the morning mm-hmm. when it's, when it's dark out because it is mm-hmm. it's cool in the daytime it is vvv cool when it's night and everything's all neon lit up and it's breathtaking yeah, it's at gorgeous. night yeah so got to do um um the millennium falcon one ride yeah in the actually ended up doing it because <laughs> we were there late night one night and there was no wait practically so we ended up doing it like three times but um, kind of knocked everything out with like an hour and a half by because I was just by myself. It was early in the morning, so I was just on the ride. Did that Oga's Cantina, drank a bloody Rancor at six forty-five in the morning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know. Hey, Bloody Mary! Uh, bloody Mary is a breakfast yeah, drink. You were yeah, good. Walked through you all the good. shops. You know all that. Just kind of literally, I just, mm-hmm. just drank a blue milk, it, just to, just for the heck of it. Because like I, I want to just put let's see, experience everything that's available right now. Um, yeah, it's a lot of cool. It's re- I'm excited for Smuggler's Run. Um, not Smuggler's Run, Rise of the Resistance because we're going back in May. Oh, yeah, oh, I, can, I could talk for is hours. Oh is my god, yeah, Pat, Pat, Pat. It is, it is, is it like better than I'm not, Flight a, of, I'm, not, the, I'm not even a big Avatar guy, but that ride, that Flight of the oh. Navi is amazing. The flight, this is nothing like flight of passage is nothing compared to rise. Cause it's a walkthrough attraction. It is like a simulator attraction. It's a thrill ride. It is, it is a trackless, a dark ride it's all at the same time. The audio animatronics are amazing. Okay. Like, yes. Awesome. Even, even we, so we broke down the first time I did it and even breaking down was brilliant also. Cause we were like eye to eye with the, uh, with the ad app. Yeah. So like, just the detail they've put into this ride and there's a part where you get sectioned off by first order cast members and they can mess with you. And it's so much fun. Like it's just top to bottom. It's, it's worth getting to the park at like five 30 and going through the um, boarding pass process. I might have to do that again. Tell my wife I got to go just to do this one ride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is, is you like you can't get a boarding pass till seven. But if you're there, like it's easier. You want to be in the gate by like six thirty. So that way, even if you get a boarding pass for six or seven at night, you know that you are, you know, you're they're going to give you a two hour window to get back. And that's for the ride specifically, right? That's for that specific ride. Yeah. They're not doing like a fast fast, but you get there. It's first come, first serve and they're giving up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's just a digital pass, and then they alert you, and then once they alert you, you have a two-hour window to get back, which, you know, That's, unless you're yeah. sitting in the middle of an expansive dinner, you know, you're, you've yeah. got time to get back to studios, nice. which is really, really nice because then you can enjoy the rest of your day 
and not be waiting in line for eight hours, which is really yeah. great. Oh, as much um, as I love Disney, I, we don't. I don't do the long waits. No, and I, and it's an hour is my max. Depending on yeah, the ride well, and, and the time of day, you, depending on what's going on, I will do an hour. Yeah. I see those like two hours or hour ninety minutes. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And well, and you all come enough. Like if you come twice a year, that like. If you miss something the first mm-hmm. time, it's cool to pick it up the second time. Or like I waited like a year and a half to do mine train yeah. and it was totally worth, you know, I, I, I didn't miss anything by waiting a yeah. year and a half. It's a great ride. Yeah. But, you know, um, you know, there's a, just a little little transition. I'm always shocked that there is not more Robin Hood presence in the parks. Like when I did my college program, um, oh, you talk about mugs. I got when I was there on my college program in 2013, they um, – made the Epcot mug purple colors, purple and, and like pink. And they accidentally made the monorail monorail purple okay. on the side of the, which is the retired um, monorail from getting into That's an accident right. and a small yeah, child yeah. died in the, the process. And so, but they quickly, they realized what happened and they quickly pulled it. And so I have it sitting in a box here somewhere. I'm not much of a mug guy, but I saw it and was like, Oh, this is going to get pulled quickly. On eBay. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, but so like they they consider like Prince John and and um uh are and uh Little John and and things like they they're all like special time magic people and I don't think in all my time I've ever seen Robin out ever and I'm just I'm a little shocked that cuz it's if you ask people classic Disney movies they know they're going to say a couple of the princess movies and they're going to say Robin Hood like everyone loves Robin Hood that I found like it is, it is just such an enjoyable classic movie from that era just after Walt died. Yeah. It was like um, seven years or six years or something like that. Yeah. 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 This one, he died in 66 and this came out in 73. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't directly have, uh, he didn't approve it. There was no correlation with Walt, but it was, it's also interesting to think that we're technically in the Disney dark ages at this point when, when Robin Hood is coming out. And, um, but it's, it's, I'm interested that they never did an attraction. They never, uh, he's not a more regular meet and greet character yeah. or even a parade character. Do you know, I could pull up that. Was it a commercial success? It was a commercial success, I believe. Let me, I've got it right here. Um, well, commercial success for 73. It's n- so Aristocats came out in 1970, and that was a massive success. Like I think it was a $4 million budget to make Aristocats and they made 191 million. They made 191 like million one point. In, in 1970 money. In 1970 money, which uh, it was $1.25 billion in today's money yeah. for Aristocats. It's just Avengers. It's, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what, and that's what Rachel and I were shocked because uh, Rachel uh, Shank did my Aristocats episode, which just came out uh, two weeks ago. Everybody, go back and listen if you haven't listened. Um, and uh, this this was a budget of five million, and they did thirty two million. Which, considering what was happening socioeconomically in the seventies kind of makes sense. Movie prices were going up. People did not have as much mm-hmm. money. Um, there wasn't gas to go around really we were in an oil crisis um things weren't great for the american public so i'm not shocked that this only did 32 million um you know which is nothing to shake a stick at now but like you know they're laughing at birds of prey right now because it only did 30 million in its first weekend box office wise so like um but 
man, this cost five million dollars. It cost five million, which is really interesting because we'll get into the fact that it is a lot of reused footage, (laughs) a lot of reused Um, acting. (laughs) <laughs> little, a lot of reused acting. Oh yeah, because you've got. I mean, uh, little uh, if for no other, uh, Phil Harris, yeah. Phil Harris, who was blue, and Thomas O'Malley. So like he did a uh, he did you know Jungle Book, Aristocats, and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Robin Hood like, all I, right in a row. Yeah, it's just he he's not even trying to do a different voice or accent. It is the same. No, it is blue yeah. with brown fur and clothes on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, well you hire. I think you hire Phil Harris because you know what voice you're going to yeah. get with Phil Harris. And honestly, so much of my Disney childhood is connected to Phil Harris's voice because, like, I loved Jungle Book growing up. And uh, as a plus size gentleman, I've always, you know, I always like the, the the bigger boys. So I love Baloo, love Little John. They're great characters. <laughs> um, my sister, my sister's obsessed with Aristocats, and so um, Thomas O'Malley is just he's so good. But uh, Phil Harris also gets that comedy of of and voice variation that makes him just such an interesting like in in volume and pitch um because like even when they do the like skag drag in the the forest to to st- uh, steal from prince john it's like um uh you know it's one of those things it's just funny because it's he doesn't even change his voice where uh, Brian Bedford who played yeah. Robin like totally like did a really terrible lady voice um, but just Phil Harris just didn't even bother and it's almost funnier that way oh do, yeah so, don't get like, me wrong I know I, I made a quip about him doing the same oh, voice no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely. one of the highlights of that movie is is so oh, delightful stand out uh, I just mm-hmm. didn't know that you know Nashville was part of medieval England at one point <laughs> well, I'm just I mean I'm you've also being, yeah, yeah you're, you're you know well, but you've also got um oh what's his name uh, uh I've got it right here in front of me I'm looking um, for talking about uh, uh Pat Buttram sheriff yeah Pat Buttram I mean I like that him. that works like it. Oh, it's so it's so good, and uh, just because most of this cast is also this the secondary cast of Aristocats, mm-hmm. and so like in Aristocats, it's so funny because you've got two thick Southern dialect um, like bloodhounds mm-hmm. that are in the English countryside that then are in this, and it you know it oddly works because nobody's going to ask questions because you're already having animals acting out medieval um you know medieval life uh so what what drew you to to robin hood because this was one of the uh movies that you suggested and i honed in because i love this movie so Um, much frankly i was just trying to think of what would be interesting what would be one that maybe wouldn't be an obvious choice that other guests Mm -hmm. had or would have would bring up and what it reminded me is i watched the shit out of this movie, the VHS as a kid, yeah. like put it through its paces. I watched it all the time. Funny story about that though, is for the longest time, I only saw like the first half of it. It was after the, cause my parents would like put it on when they wanted me to take a nap, my mom. And oh, I think yeah, it was, you, I think yep. it was after the archery. So there, there's two big like action set pieces, right? There's like the archery and then there's mm-hmm. the, the climax of the castle. Um, mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. longest time after they got away to the woods in the archery, I thought that was like the ending. Because <laughs> then I was like, all right, time to, to, time to go nap now. And she just cut it off. Time to go nap. <laughs> That's so funny. And then I remember oh my like, God. watching it. And wa- there was a click. I was like, hey, there's a lot more movie left. What the heck, Ma? 
That's that's so funny. And you know, it's I ask a lot of my my Disney friends through social media and uh like what what their memories of Robin Hood are. And I can't tell you how many people that are like, yo, Robin Hood was my first crush, and I was like Really? Yeah. That's so funny. I was like, are you a furry now? And they go, no, I just like Robin. And rewatching, because I realized, like, I always think I watch this movie often because it was it's mm-hmm. always been on some streaming or yeah. something. But watching it the other day, getting ready for, for this, I was like, oh, I probably haven't watched this in about 10 years. Um, and there is just something so charming about Brian Bedford's portrayal of Robin and the kind of, like, Like, I don't want to call him quirky or smarmy, but like, there's just the mischievousness of how they animate him is so nice. Um, And watching this back to back with Aristocats, I just, as much as I'm such a proponent for all the new digital animation, I miss hand drawn animation so much especially when um, you can still see pencil lines and little pencil variations Mm -hmm. and things between, between scenes. Um, but I think it's interesting to talk about this movie. There were many times along the ways that it just wasn't going to happen and it kept getting scrapped. And um, it's because Disney was moving towards this thing at the time where they wanted to start making like literature movies with animals because they thought it was going to be inter- the only way children could kind of unpack the literature mm-hmm. of things. And they were going to even remake Treasure Island with a. Uh, 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 a kind of three one hour or three forty five minute animated section. So one would be Treasure Planet, or well, not Treasure Planet, Treasure <laughs> Island. Treasure Planet would come much yeah. later. Um, Treasure Island, um, and then another thing called Chanticleer and Reynard, which um, is based on the novel Chanticleer, which is about the rooster, which is why we have a rooster bard at the beginning of mm-hmm. this. Um, well, and so getting into what we kind of hinted at earlier, so Chanticleer and Reynard had a ton of its animation done. They had finished a lot of pencil drawings and they had them kind of sitting around. And so um, I don't really know if they rotoscoped over it, but they really just reused a lot of this Jungle Book and Aristocats animation by if they weren't from Chanticleer and Reynard where you know they had a rooster and a chicken and some foxes and some wolves and some bears um, you know most of Little John's stuff he's actually on screen alone because again they're reusing Jungle Book yeah. animation cells which I think is it's so interesting that they are able to still put together a cohesive movie because I would still call this a very cohesive story that is an adequate representation of the Robin Hood uh, novel. Yeah, I, was, I mean, honestly, I didn't find too much. I mean, you can point that out. There's uh, there's some variable. The, the mm-hmm. dance is the most famous, the obvious mm-hmm. scene, but mm-hmm. especially, yeah, with everything with uh, Little John. But I felt... The movie held up pretty darn good, honestly. It, yes. I was surprised. That I kept waiting, trying to like, oh, I didn't find anything like problematic, really. I mean, there was one mm-hmm, comment mm-hmm. about like a, a woman thief or something like that, or a woman bandit. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right. Uh, that was, that's not cool. But I was surprised at that. What I think is interesting about this style of animation, mm-hmm. though, is, and there's parts where it looks gorgeous and parts where it looks a little washed out and the colors could be more vibrant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's so interesting about that era of animation is, the, the the crystal clear delineation between the what is fixed 
in what's moving mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. where you can just look you could pause it and look at the screen and even now with like a digital on like Disney Plus if you pause it so it doesn't have that VHS staticky pause it's like a it's a true still mm-hmm. image you could point out everything that's like all right this is this could move this is not this is fixed yeah and you can just see yep. that where it's the fixed background and then the pieces that are moving on top of it is very mm-hmm. it's almost I don't not like it I don't know something about it is right charmingly classic yeah it's and it's going back now and like out now that i've been doing research on the company and like what was physically happening at disney animation is it's not shocking that this is what was happening because this this the company almost from the moment of um because walt's death and then we would have had the walt disney world opening at this point um which was a huge cash funnel Huge, huge cash funnel because um, Walt was the king of reappropriating money from different places and moving them around and making money work. Um, but, you know, he is famously the man who went broke fully three times in his lifetime. And one of which was after Disney was already in production and working. And, and you know, there are all these things that um, watching the movie, we, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's. It's fine. And, you know, it is cute now, but I I noticed the same thing because I even went back and went, oh, that is squarely forest cells from Sleeping Beauty. And I went Mm -hmm. back and I dug through Sleeping Beauty a little bit and I went, oh, yeah, there is a good minute and a half of of the cells that are all the backgrounds from Sleeping Beauty. But so that's still at the end of the day, really shocking to me that it costs five million Mm -hmm. to make this movie when Aristocats was pretty much drawn from scratch and cost four million to make. Now there are a lot less cast members in Aristocats and they were drawing a lot less um moving parts, I guess you would, and it's a little bit shorter than Robin Hood. But I mean, whatever um, they paid Peter Houston off and Terry Thomas was worth it. Those Oh it's <laughs> thousand percent. Thousand thousand percent. Um and though you know it's funny, in my mind I had this a memory of of Hiss being exactly like Ka from Jungle Book, but rewatching it now, they are not the same voice. They're not the same snake. They do have one thing. And for in some reason, I wrote down is like, how did how did the how did the snakes have hypnosis trope get started? Yes, yeah. I don't know if it's that idea of they were obsessed with Orientalism and mysticism that came along with the Orientalism of the time. Mm. Um, and you know, we say that now, kind of looking back on Orientalism as a movement. Kind Coming to the West and being used by, you know, white people and um, uh, white Hollywood at the time, but in a way that in this was not because he's the only animal where I go. He makes sense for the character, but he's the only one is like an um, I don't know. I guess he fits with the lions and tigers kind of bit of it as well. Um, But he's the only one that in the scheme of things, he's the only like reptile who has like a character because the other ones we see are the the big dumb crocodile boys yeah. who <laughs> I mean I love know, that they, voice though get, oh, great voice like <laughs> there's just there's so many good things about this movie that even even a little of the messy things that I just go I just enjoy this so mm-hmm. much and I do um, I want to see if you know, it, if it, he's it, credited it, the crocodile I don't see anything Oh, I wonder if it was uh, the captain of the well, guards. Do you think? Yes. Candy, candy, yeah. Devil. 
Candy Candido. Candy Candido is um, if you, that's um, who it, if fidget. You, if that's who it is. Yeah, candy. Uh, he's yes, and candy. I I think so. And Candy Candido is fidget in Great Mouse Detective, the bat with the penguin oh, okay. bat. Yeah, he's he was a voice actor for Disney for eons, doing all of lots of little secondary characters and you, and all these things. Man, I want to give hats off though too. I thought I found the a lot of it. I mean, some of it was very on the nose, but I liked it. I felt like the the animals they chose for the different mm-hmm. roles were very. I don't know. It worked. Like I always remember as a kid, and it held up. Now those rhino guards are imposing. It. They're so like, good. I love them so much. And then you got like I don't know what what are those what are those like archers? Are those supposed to be like hounds or weasels of some kind? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. I th- yeah, I think there's some sort of like feral wolf or something because yeah. you know, wolves are always mm-hmm. they look like the sheriff of Nottingham, just really skinny. So I don't. Yeah, yeah I assume there's some sort of wolf like because wolves can't be good good at this point. Um, they're always if you've got an evil character, they probably have wolves uh, as henchmen in these animal mm-hmm. movies. Um, yeah, it's it's so good. And even Marion was always a little confusing to me how she's the other fox. But I went, well, you know, they probably <laughs> don't want to encourage cross species mating <laughs> in, in a 1973 mm-hmm. um no, I, I I also think it's I thought it was funny that that you picked Robin Hood because it also does appeal to that very stories like Robin Hood are why I started playing D and D and these kind of epic adventures. Even though Robin Hood is such a small scale crusade story, really. Um, uh, as an adult, because as a kid, I would grew up in a very Christian household during the, um, do you remember in the nineties when there was like a string of kids who were killing their families because their dungeon masters told them to, I mean, it was there like, was a, <laughs> there was a story about it, whether that actually happened yet. Yeah. So, so it happened to one of them was a family friend of ours from my church What's that actually happened. Um, like. Yeah, and it actually happened. Now, again, now as an adult that I've gone, because I'm into very, very much into true crime now, um, even though I'm the, the scariest weenie of them all, um, I went back and really did some digging into that story, and it was it was m- way more than just D&D, obviously, and it actually had no component mm-hmm. to it. But um, the, there is a, a book... I'll, uh, if I can find the link again, I'll send to you. It was digitized, but it was like um, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was like Murders, Murders in the Dungeon, like this string of 1990s. There were like four. I know there were stories of 10 or 12 or 13, but there were four actual murders that happened of families um, because the, uh, these kids just got in. Um, but it's because their dungeon masters were also like grown ass people. Who were yeah? Who I mean, were hanging out with teenagers? Mm-hmm. Like it was. It had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. But at, at that point, my mom was like, "It's evil. It's of the devil." And so, of course, the first moment that my friends uh, in college were like, "Do you want to play D anD D?" and I was like, "It's evil." My mom told me not to. I have to. <laughs> um, but and you know, these are those I I love. Sometimes I love like a simple one off campaign that is very. Especially because I play a bard often, um, I love I love the kind of simplicity of a Robin Hood story and our 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 little our rooster bard that we got throughout this. Because he's I love that so song. That he's so fun. Song is so oh, great. 
it, it, uh, I, I believe the kids say it slaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, tr- I can't, <laughs> you know, I try to stay, uh, you know, plugged in. I'm very active on Twitter and with, you know, mm-hmm. all of my content creation, right? It's good to, you know, stay abreast of trends and, and, and be plugged into yeah, what, you know, yeah. the, the, what's, what's the meme everyone's doing? What's the language? That's one. I just yep. can't, I've tried like twice and it just either <laughs> vocally or t- via text to use it. And yeah. I, it just, it's, it's almost, maybe it's a sign of, you know, I'm aging and I, I'm, I just have to be very selective of what I try. So it's one of the things where I feel like I've been aware of it slaps yeah. as a cool phrase. Yeah for a very long time for like over a year at this point, but I can't use it personally. <laughs> Cause like you say, as a kid, it just is not, I'm self-aware enough to know it does not work coming out of my mouth. Like as, as the kids yeah. say, yeah, no, it's, it's, I, um, so I, uh, I did New York in my twenties and went back and did my undergrad and the end of my twenties. And so I'm in my grad program now. And it's for the first time, like this last year, uh, teaching my students, like they're great. I get along with them. Great. But it's one of those that I was like, uh, like listening to them. Like I, I, I used a, an idiom the other day in class and you could tell they just giggled with me, but at me just a little bit. And I went, Oh, I'm starting to feel really old <laughs> and definitely so much older than all of you. But it's like a lot of them, their parents, some of them, their parents are about my mm-hmm. age. And so, you know, so it's one of those that I was like, Oh, I'm 15 to 17 years older than most of our students. So like, it's a, uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm glad I know, um, yeah. you know, can you keep up with what they're doing? So I want to ask you kind of, it's a little tangent then as an author, there's nothing worse for me reading, especially cause I do theater and film so much that like, there's nothing worse than reading, a script or a book that's written by someone who's trying to use the idioms of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you as an author now, I guess, cause you do, you're doing space, space things. Um, you, you kind of don't necessarily have to worry about those kinds of things, but how do you as an author and just somebody that is in, in kind of uh, pop culture and things, how do you traverse knowing kind of what the popular languages and things are and not, trying to overuse them or, you you know, trying to put them in just to pander for, for an, an audience. How do you traverse yeah, that? Yeah, that's, and as far as, especially if things like if you're going to do, um, I would say as I was kind of finding my way and voice, there's definitely, um, more references in the first space tripping book. There's not very many at all in the second. Mm-hmm. It's more my own thing. Mm-hmm. Where just kind of, I was figuring things out. I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. this is my first novel, kind of a love letter to the, the content that inspired me and molded me. So there's reference and but you got to be, so when it comes to things like references, you want to be really careful that it's not something that's too, too topical or too current. So more timeless stuff. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can make a star Wars reference in a sci-fi book and it's going to, it's going to work forever. Right. Like, cause that's so yeah, ubiquitous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you, mm-hmm. if you make, um, I'm trying to think of one that's more like flash in the pan. Uh, that was like really big and then kind of died out. I mean, it's one of those things where you got to be really careful. And then as far as slang goes, I haven't really, um, anything I've written has been kind of, I, I write mostly about adults. You know, I don't really do like, I don't yes. write about like mm-hmm. teenagers getting, and that would be harder. I think that'd be something you have to be much more wary yeah. of if you're writing like a YA book where you're trying to write mm-hmm. authentic, like teenagers, 
getting into hijinks and shenanigans, you got to be really because that that'll shine through real quick, right? If it feels like <laughs> it's that meme of uh, Steve Buscemi <laughs> in the high school, like "What's up, fellow teens? What's up, yeah, fellow young yeah. people?" <laughs> um, yeah, and I. Uh, sorry, say, I mean, I luckily uh, most of what I write, I've kind of given myself a, a free pass, you know, a shortcut because I just either use more established, you know, phrasing. Mm-hmm. Or I just make up my own. I get to I get to make up my own. Nice. Which is its own challenge too, because you want that to sound authentic yeah. as well. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, it, yeah. it's funny you say that because it is something I definitely remember in the, my first the first book having a reference that I had, uh, you know, someone who I trust. They're like, "Yeah, you might want to take this out. This is gonna, this isn't gonna hold up, you know, mm-hmm. five years from now or ten years now." And looking back, I'm really mm-hmm. glad I did that because it. I feel like good. it would have it would have been a reference good. that would not have been it would just would have been it would have felt very of the time right it would have definitely dated yeah. the book and mm-hmm. dated and just kind of like i'm just riding the wave of what's happening right then in that moment yeah yeah there's nothing worse than having a piece be a period piece before it's even published mm-hmm. um which is happening a lot in theater right now specifically or like film that is what I want to call like mass market film. Um, You know, there's little things where, you know, in guardians Two, necessarily jumping to Marvel a little bit, that like a zoom reference is actually kind of funny for the audience. It's a little weird and Mm -hmm. funny, um, but seems a little out of place, but also at the same time, you're like, okay, I guess that kind of works. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't, I don't know. Now um, we were, we were talking earlier about how with, uh, I don't know. You know, it's also, I'll segue in a second. I'm surprised there hasn't really been a Robin Hood in space yet. Like a, a spacey sci-fi. Me, I'll do it. I'll make it. <laughs> Listen, I think it'd be fun. <laughs> I th- well, I mean, uh, I mean, Firefly is probably about as close as we get, but they're not robbing mm-hmm. the rich to save the poor. They are, you know, they're, it's, you know, it's, it's that I almost feel like it, it, it has this delightful, um, charm to it being medieval mm-hmm. and anytime that you try to update the Robin Hood story they did that really gritty one a couple years ago with the, the kid from um, Sons of Anarchy Big B- Charlie Hunnam what's his name? Charlie something yeah it, and yeah. like it was like half half modern costuming, but we were in castles and Jamie Foxx was Little John and I didn't even see it because it just looked so confusing that I'm not – I mean I think Robin Hood in space would be really fun. I don't know, Pat. Maybe that would be really a cute little thing to do. I don't know. I think it would be great. But just this idea of we haven't seen too many adaptations of Robin Hood into other – But there's been – God, so fucking many of like just – so many Robin Hood movies. Like you've got that the '60s one where everybody's in like little pointed hats and pointed beards yeah. and point and tights and pointed. I mean, shoes. there's the classic. There's the what? Errol Flynn one. Uh, yes, it's the Errol Flynn one. Well, then you even have Men in Tights, which flips it on its head and is a parody of the genre, and which is funny. And but even just in my lifetime, I think we've had like six Robin Hood movies. It's, and then there's that um, one with uh, Taron Edgerton. Edgerton. The, I guess that Edgerton, was like, yes. really bombed, flopped hard, or something. Ugh. Well, because that, yeah, that means we had literally like two Robin Hood Prince movies. Of the oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, well, I know. I actually know. I think that Charlie, Charlie Hunnam movie was 
King Arthur. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're Maybe right. that was yeah, a King yeah, Arthur. Yeah. But I, I find when they retell Robin Hood and retell King Arthur, it's just this faux grittiness mm-hmm. with, like, a Guy Ritchie lens um, and long shots <laughs> and lots of fire and, and titties just everywhere. It's just the, these movies. Um, we did we did Prince of Thieves and Costner for Let's Rewatch last year. We had Tim ooh. Lanning and Jennifer Cheek from Geekly on to do it. That's, yeah. It's so fucking long. I, I it's such a long movie. Yet. It never ends. It's... I remember watching that as a child and just going, this is not good. He doesn't know. I I'm mean, just, except for Alan Rickman. It's, yeah. Like, of course. Of course. Because he was the, was he the sheriff yes. of Nottingham? Or he's got he some fucking retired? lines. Yeah. There. He's like, of course. He's the man that was just built to be villains, but be beloved yeah, by everyone. Yeah. It's just so, because even in Love Actually, like, he's just a shitbag. Like, <laughs> you know. But I think it's interesting. Originally... This movie was going to be set in the Deep South. This and they were going Robin to Hood, retell- this animated Robin Hood. They were going to repurpose it to the Deep South. Yes, interesting. Yes, um, that would have given that probably would have uh, given us a lot more problematic fodder to, to, to dive well, in on. So uh, this was because Ken Anderson, who was kind of in production for Disney at the time, he ran Aristocats, and he was like the I don't want to say showrunner, but he was showrunner. Yeah. Um, he uh, and he became exploring possibilities for their next film. Uh, I'm just reading this right from the wiki, and so they favored classic tales as subjects for the next film, which Anderson suggested Robin Hood, and everyone was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, we got to do it." But he wanted to blend the ideas of Robin Hood as this rare fox character. And uh, make him slick and use the skills oh, to protect rare. the community. And Anderson loved Song of the South. The, the 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 company was still very very proud of Song of the South at the Ooh. time. And uh, except the executives were like, you know what? People didn't like this. We kind of fucked up. It was a little tone deaf. <laughs> Uh, you know, which is, I think, daring in 1970 for them to go, you know, when we still have KKK crosses burning in the South and like, mm-hmm. you know, integration was just happening yeah. in school, schools across the country. Um, and they decided I'm- only because, so, you know, it was, they, uh, so Wolfman Reith- uh, Reithermans, um, uh, which was uh, an executive at Disney at the time, decided that there was a 1952 Robin Hood called The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men. I do not think this was the Harold, the Errol Flynn one. I think it was the one before that, um, where they decided, they were like, you know what? People like English things right now. England is doing very well in America. Let's just set it in England. And I was like, oh, like the story? Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's just set That's it. That's great. Like it's this revolutionary like, idea. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it where it's set? Okay, Guys, great. I have an idea. Um, Let's do a Star Wars movie, but in space. No, it will never work. <laughs> it will never work. You know what, Pat? No gays in space. It can't happen. No gays in space. No gays. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they were kind of have more of the merry men, um, but they decided that because they wanted it then to be like reminiscent of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. and it'd be like a buddy cop a movie, movie, and all. The, yeah, I'm gonna I'll, make. I'm gonna so, make well, I mean, watchers watch that because I love that. Might do. Yeah, well, it's really like the first modern film coming, like in our modern film sensibility mm-hmm. that influenced so many filmmakers. That one was one of that was like the first that, that set movie. The tone. And again, I don't want this has been an episode of Tangent, and I'm loving it and I'm having fun. But that movie has I highly recommend it. Go watch it. Some of the best. You will be blown away 
by the quips and the one-liners. Mm-hmm. Newman oh, and so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I didn't realize, so looking, they even went back as far as Snow White to re, uh, to recycle for this. It's like we've got the whole yeah, Disney the canon so up in Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought the dance was uh, pulled from Aristocats when they're doing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. But it makes way more sense I, that it came 99. from the princess. 99.99% sure. There, there's, there, there's a side-by-side video. Up I, yeah, I agree with you because I've, I've seen that on YouTube as yeah. well. Um, that, But you know what's kind of nice is that from this time that – Again, with the exception of the comment um, of of no woman bandits, which in 1970, oh, again looking yeah. mm-hmm. at at medieval, like that is something that I believe would have come straight from the text, um, if you will. I believe True. you know because that is a very medieval cycle play kind of sensibility. But I, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that there are. I don't see see anything problematic with this. Movie Not really. No. Like, yeah. Nothing. I was surprised. I was waiting for the cringe moments to happen. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so with the advent of Disney plus, we've been just throwing on lots of classics for our daughters. Oh and, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Unfortunately, another one of these movies of this era, I mean, before this era though, that I threw on and they loved was like, ah, I don't know if I can let you guys watch this anymore. was Peter Pan. Because oh, the Native yeah. Americans, like, oh man, it's like it's like I knew it was uh-huh. going to be a little dodgy, and then I watched it. I had it on with them. I was like, oh, I told my wife, I was like, they're going to ask for Peter Pan. We need to tell them it's not working. That's what we tell them. If we don't want to watch a show, we say it's not working. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't want that imprinting on them. Oh, that is yeah. <laughs> well, because they're oh, it is so much it is I, worse. I, the Native I, American is worse than you think it is. It's oh yeah. I, I recently recorded an episode with a uh, uh, guest, Eddie Thompson, on it, and it is. Oh, you did? Awesome. Yeah. I always know it's. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always know it's there. It hasn't been published yet by the time we've uh, we've uh, okay, recording yeah. this. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I always know it's a thing. Because, um, again, going back to the parks, I, I think Robin Hood, or not Robin Hood, I think Peter Pan is an overrated ride. But if there is I a did fast love it as a kid. It, I will take I, it. Because I love miniatures. It, it, I love like, miniatures. So, like, flying yeah. Over the city and yeah. island and stuff. Uh, it, oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Yes, uh, um, but it's it's one of those that I just I will n- I don't get waiting ninety no. minutes for that ride. Plus, well, I don't. I get have it. a funny story about that too. Uh, that was my favorite when I was a kid, and we'd go to Disneyland all the time. And I was so uh-huh. spoiled though because we would get to go just randomly whenever because we were half an hour away. We'd go during off oh, season, yeah. so there'd be like no crowd whatsoever. Where I'd be so spoiled, where my dad and I would walk on and be like I want a ship with the black sails, so we would just stand at the front. And wait until a black sail ship, you know, like, and just oh let him go. God, like, all right, so let me get on that one now. Like, because there's nobody else there. Like, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would that was the one thing going to Disneyland in March versus being at Disney World mm-hmm. in March. I like walked onto everything. I accidentally, uh, uh, I took, I didn't take a red eye, but I got in at like midnight. Got to my hotel in Anaheim and then couldn't sleep because I'm on East Coast time. So by six o'clock, I was like six thirty. I was like, let's get up. And I went, oh, there's extra magic hours right now. Let's just go to Disneyland yeah. at 7 a.m. Oh, yeah. And I'm walking on and off every attraction. <laughs> it, it was just but I did the whole park in like six hours. I'd ridden everything except Space Mountain because it was down. And after when my experience on Matterhorn, I was there. I mean, well, they were doing no, refurbs I, for it, so like, but I agree with you. But like, you know, some of the space mountains need big overhauls. That's oh yeah, I, uh, I could use a 
a big old I, yeah, they're they're rough. Like uh, the I, I yeah. the first time I went on it as an adult with my kid, like my older daughter, I immediately texted my dad uh, like, "Oh my god, how did you do that?" Because my dad's not a small guy. I'm six three, yeah. like two fifty, and like. I was so crammed in there and I felt like my head was going to get taken off. And then my back by the yep. end of it, I was like, good God. Oh like, yeah. I, I had, uh, I will say displeasure of when my CP was happening. It was uh, when they were rolling out magic band ones. Yeah. And so they invited all cast members to sign up and you've got a free magic band. If you agreed to like test the magic band system by riding, getting on and off rides and there'd be lights on, on rides and it'd be fun. Well, you didn't get told where you were going. So as someone who I don't like coasters particularly, but I will ride every Disney ride once. Um, just because I'm that fan, I ended up having to ride Space Mountain 14 oh times with the lights on, which is not no. fun. Because again, I am I'm a six four. I was like 300 pounds at the time, so like I uh yeah, you feel like you're gonna die. Because so for anyone out there not listening, the tracks of Space Mountain are really close together. Like it is, I don't know how it is allowed to still be this clearance. But uh, yeah, it's scary as fuck. It is <laughs> I would not want to do it. The last <laughs> time. Yeah. Nope, 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 nope. But then I guess the uh, the other ones were rock and roller coaster with the lights on and Tower of Terror. And I was like, I'm I good. would do rock and roller coaster. I'm I'm I like with- I like I like traditional coasters. I would do rock and roller coaster with the lights on. Rock and roller coaster is fun, but part of why I like it is because it's in the yeah. dark. Um, I like, but you know, it's yeah. again, I'm a weenie. I'll do so. all of it. Like I do, tar- I'll do all of it. But yeah. fast and loops don't bother me as much as like super high heights and drops i'll say like yeah oh i hate i hate drops <laughs> i hate drops um which uh there's a wait so have you have you been out to la and done the guard the when they re- rehashed the tower tear into the guardians i did do i did do the guardians because i went this time yeah. last year out there and i did do guardians it was super fun i was heavily traumatized i like well i like the unpredictability of it three drops in yeah. a row i did too well as someone who was like oh god some of these drops are five seconds oh god um because I'm a weenie. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was super fun. I loved that uh, the Rocket audio animatronic. He's so yeah. good. What, what um, I like about it, though, is like, so Tower of Terror, once you've done it a couple times, you kind of get the rhythm of it. So like, yeah, the fall, yep. you still feel the falling sensation, but you kind of know what's coming. What I like about the Guardians mm-hmm. is every time it stops, you don't know if you're about to fall or get shot upwards. So you don't know yep. which sensation you're about to feel and that's always like a huge like are we gonna fall again or are we gonna shoot upwards or are we gonna like up up (laughs) down like it's it's feels and there may be i'm sure there's a pattern if you do it enough times but i like that about it but it's very cool well we have a lot of people that are disneyland folks so write in on social media tell us um but yeah it's i i get why like well one during this point they were struggling to to refurb Disneyland and get Disney World mm-hmm. open because um, we had just, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean had just opened a couple years before. Walt wouldn't get to see that. It was just opening for the first time at Disney so World, sad. which I... I forgot how young so he was. Sad. He was like 64, 65 when he died. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of the stories we don't... We have this kind of I, this idealized version of Walt 
that everybody thinks they know. And he was a much shrewder businessman than people think. Oh, yeah. He was much more cut to the chase. He smoked like a chimney. It's, it is said that you could smell him coming down the hallway. He, he, um, he, he, he was all unfiltered cigarettes too. So like, yeah, yes, don't do that, kid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which, which ultimately, you know what? Smoking's bad, kids. Where to point? Stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. You can't smoke on property anyway. So like, don't yeah. smoke. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine a July in Disney if you're a smoker can't be fun because you can't smoke on property. Mm-hmm. So like, or well, at least in the parks. So, um, but yeah, it's a, uh, so, but I get why during this time, because they were just trying to get Disney World open and they were refurbing Tomorrowland and Disneyland and they were doing all these things and Epcot was you know, about 10 years away, not even uh, from 73, we were less than 10 years from Epcot. And so I get why there was never probably an attraction or even a walkthrough attraction planned for Robin Hood. Because the thing is, is it's not, it is dynamic in the way that we think of like a medieval action adventure with love and jousting. But really, there's, it's really just the, there's not even jousting. It's just the, um, the arch. Archery yeah, I, and some some fun hand to hand, some hijinks. I, I, I found that action sequence. I actually watched that twice. The action sequence, like mm-hmm. that's a fun action sequence. The fight at the archery, it is fun. It all kind of goes crazy, and um, I mean, very interesting choices they made. You know, with the whole all mm-hmm. of a sudden that there's mm-hmm. they're playing football kind of, and they're playing like the USC fight. Song. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yep, yep. That was interesting. Uh, I made a note. <laughs> I just I love random casual observations when I'm watching a movie, just little quirky things. And I remember towards the end when the, yeah. all the people are in jail, I was like, Oh, they let the bard keep his guitar in jail. That was nice of him. <laughs> Cause he's, yeah, that was, that was nice. I'm shocked that the bard made it through the fight without bashing over somebody over the head with his, uh, with his, uh, with no, his he's a true artist. He you know, not, it's just yeah. one of those. Yeah. He's a, he would, he would not, he would not but you know, sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes weird things happen. I mean, and you know what? This is weird because the bard doesn't try to seduce anybody the entire campaign. I know, that's probably the most so, you know, it's, movie it's, that's it's, all talking animals. <laughs> and yeah, that's the most unrealistic <laughs> thing that the bard does not try to. Talk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. I mean, he gives some nice come hither eyes, but I think they're those crazy rah, rah, rooster yeah, eyes. But, that, uh, I, what's funny you, you mentioned know, his I, eyes. That was the one I felt there is kind of all the other ones have. He didn't really have much life in the eye, his eyes. There's no, kind of there's a softness yeah. in it. Yeah, well, they they make everybody else's eyes very human in the way that Disney eyes yeah. are human but not human. They're too big. And his are very bird-like where they yes. have the two very distinct colors. Weird. They're two weird colors because yeah. they're red, <laughs> weird choice red to go and like, yellow. Like scientific anatomical with our, our narrator who's like talking yeah. directly to – the one character that's talking to well, the audience has the most unsettling yeah. eyes. <laughs> Well, and he's almost – well, because I guess this is also a rooster thing too. He's almost not even anthropomorphic because roosters, really, if you stand them – if you straighten the backbone up, they're kind of human-shaped anyway. Mm-hmm. They're just a little chubby. But, uh, you know, so it's – but he's I, he's such a fun character and I've always loved his character design because um, he's one of the, the things other than Robin that stands out to me like from my childhood is, is – um, I was the kid that didn't have cable, so all of my references were 20 years behind my <laughs> peers. And so I, re- I distinctly remember pretending to play guitar on the playground and saying, Ooh, lolly. And my, my, everybody was like, oh, you're a weirdo. We haven't seen that movie. Haven't you seen Little Mermaid? And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, um, but yeah, there's, I think this is another one where I'm really happy it's in the canon. I'm really happy people are showing it to their kids. They are without going, oh, we can't really show this to our kid. Because even when I did our first, our second episode was Little Mermaid. And a lot of parents online were like, you know, I'm not super comfortable with my kids watching Little Mermaid. Or I'm having to watch Little Mermaid with them and then we're having to have a conversation the whole time. Which, yeah, it's, it's you know, that's up to the parents. But this is one of those that, you know... Uh, maybe this shows that I'm an 80s, 90s kid that got raised in front of a TV at a babysitter. But, like, this is one where you can sit your kids down in front of it and not have to worry about the conversation you're going to have mm-hmm. to come back to. It's it's not Peter Pan. Yeah, it's not. And, that, and, the, and there's different you know, levels to, like, the conversation. Like, there's some – yeah, it's like with Peter Pan, that's just, like, there's no positivity, I feel like, to be had out of the no, issues in that yeah. one. Um, is with The Little Mermaid is the whole, like, change yourself for guys at the conversation or yeah yeah that's the yeah that's a lot of it and also though i'm also one that i'm like well when you look at it she's not just changing him for the guy because she's so excited about humans Mm -hmm. and like the human world because like if ariel was really just changing herself for eric she would have thrown herself at him as soon as she falls out of the water they would have kissed they would have fucked movie would have been done but she spends her time sleeping and eating food and driving a carriage and like dancing and doing all these things um no granted i uh I'm a big Little Mermaid fan because I'm a big Ursula okay. fan. So, you know. Have you watched I, the, uh, very the di- I didn't know they existed, the sequels on Disney Plus? Pat, we don't talk about those So sequels. that's where, interesting where, to me is where, all where, of those movies, where? Aladdin, Little Mermaid, they all have these like direct to DVD. Where they, but they were such and big There are a hits. lot of them. Why wouldn't they have gone to the yeah. theaters with those? I don't. Well, especially when the third Aladdin, they got Robin Williams yeah. back. Like, because the second one, I get it, was a lower budget. Then they they sent it over to the tunes. I think it's because, well, okay, I'm going to tell you why. Jeffrey Katzenberg is why. Because Jeffrey Katzenberg was, was, he is, we call him the deep enemy of the pod here at at Dole Up and Dreams. But um, he, I will say, made a lot of decisions that seemed awful at the time, but were great for the movies overall, for the structure of the films. But they were very specific between the Disney animated studios and like Toon mm-hmm. Disney studios. There was the the television studios, which is why most people don't consider Goofy Movie a Disney Renaissance film, while I uh, and Case Aiken, our a, buddy a Case man Aiken, as our uh, <laughs> um, men, men of culture consider Goofy Movie part of the Disney Renaissance because it is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time, let alone the 90s, um, and had the least problematic shit because you're also looking at like Pocahontas came out about mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, long story. But, you know, it's – yeah, I think it was the moment they shifted to the other studio doing the animation, there was no chance of them getting feature releases also because like – um, the, all the Renaissance movies were doing so well and Michael Eisner and Katzenberg and all the, the new people that came in from Paramount just wanted to hoard that money, wanted to keep that money. Um, and that was also the peak of people buying home, home mm-hmm. media um, because VHS is just, you know, they had dropped to about $20 in price. They were a little bit below. DVD was still a little far out. Apparently people bought Laserdiscs. I think that's a lie. I don't think Laserdiscs like, ever existed. It's a myth. 
I'm kidding. Okay. I find them in I find them in every thrift store that I go to, and I find good movies like Indiana Jones. I found, I own all three Star Wars movies on Laserdisc. I have no way to watch them, but the art was cool because they look like a vinyl record. But yeah, I remember Laserdiscs in high school because my schools had them, but I, I can't believe people would buy them and keep them in the home. I don't know. If, if anyone out there had a laser disc in your home, if you still let us have know. One. I want to know if you still listen, my dad's still clinging onto a VHS player. Real so hard. we can't really can't say much. I know he was sad when his eight track player died about 10 years ago. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's a breath. Cause even watching Aristocats, there's that really painfully, Asia, painful Asian representation Oof. of the piano player cat. And in that movie, that's really all that's wrong with that one. But it's so heavy. And it's uh, because everybody wants to be a cat and Aristocats is like the, the it's the most remembered scene in that movie, I would argue. And so um, to have that there to then this be the next movie and you're like, OK, cool. That's uh, that's really that's really good. I like that. I'm glad. Um, I'm honestly, I'm really bad. I don't know what the next movie that came out was because this was this the one? 21st. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, Disney. Oh. I love you. You but it's, you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> delightful. Disaster. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold on. We're looking. Um, but it's one of those that, oh, oh, the mini adventures of many adventures of Winnie the Pooh is ah. the next movie. Um, and then the rescuers and then Fox and the Hound. That's interesting. Wow. Wow. There was a four year break between, um, Aristic, uh, between Robin Hood and Winnie really? the Pooh and both Winnie the Pooh and rescuers it's, came out the same it's year. Funny. You said Fox, uh, when Robin Hood ended on like the Disney Plus, and I had the girls in the room too, and the, the, sort of the next up suggestion was Fox and the Hound. I'm like, no, I don't feel like crying oh, right now, no. so we're not going to no, watch that. No, <laughs> yeah. yep. I've had I've had three potential guests that all have wanted to do Fox and the Hound, and I was like, y'all got to wait for season three. I don't want to cry on the show <laughs> yet. Um, meanwhile, cut to the the Aladdin episode that's about to come out, where I just sob halfway through the, uh, the <laughs> my, my historical lead in the beginning. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, this this I you know what I I know they were pulling back on Disney animation at this point and to the point where it almost was killed in the 80s because of Black Cauldron, mm-hmm. which we will get to in July of this year for the anniversary. But I'm um, listen to that episode because I haven't I haven't watched it. I want to go back and watch it to see is it is it is it that bad. Yeah. I don't think it's that bad. So the biggest issue was that was right after Michael Eisner came in and took over mm-hmm. Disney and the previous head of Disney animation had left. So they took this movie and they went, it's too long. It's too scary. They literally watched it and then had the editors go in a room, hold up the cells, cut one cell, cut another cell. They cut 35 minutes oh of God. footage. And in the, there's a big fight. You can just feel the cut. You know exactly where the cut happens. And uh, like it's just, I oh. will say, do not watch this one with your girls. Did, it is terrifying. Love Michael Eisner's work. It is so Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of those yeah. in that era. There's some scary, like the rescuers. I haven't watched. I remember there being scary shit in the rescuers. The first one, especially. Well, you've got the, you've got the, the little girl with the two giant um, crocodiles. Yeah. 
And the fox so and the hound dark. is just like, sad. Just so dark and washed yeah. out and just gloomy. Oh yeah, because they're living in they're living on a bayou. Yeah. They're you know well, and then even Great Mouse Detective is terrifying mm-hmm. in many ways. It's uh, we've doesn't the back he transforms into like a monster rat at the end or something yeah okay yeah yeah he goes yeah he lets himself fully like rat out and go yeah. crazy so but, i mean um, that's bad it's still and this isn't disney but it's still nowhere near as soul scarring as the secret of nim from it comes to mouse related secret of nim. <laughs> the yeah the first the first movie don bluth made after he left disney secrets of nim um which is a beautiful and terrifying movie mm-hmm. Absolutely terrifying. Um, but what was interesting was when those movies came out, it was uh, the first time Disney had feature-length animated competition. There had really not been move, um, companies putting out good feature-length animation other than themselves. And so, I mean, they would continue to get more and more competition. But um, it's just interesting to look at this time and really... I have really positive memories of 1970s films, especially live action films from this time. Cause we got, you know, we got freaky Friday about this time. We got one of the, some of the Herbie movies. Um, but you could see like looking at it from a big picture, the company is barely treading water. They creatively don't know how to keep their head. Like they don't know how to like keep their heads up. And it's, I'm glad they made it through this time because the company was going to see its biggest success happening just, just not even 20 years later. But they, the, the company could have completely, completely faltered, mm-hmm. which, you know, though I do think it has a lot to say of they went from fall releases in the seven in the early 70s to summer blockbuster what we know now as the blockbuster time they went from fall releases to summer releases and i'm not sure if that had something to do with they were hoping to capture kids being out of school but then like rescuers fox and the hound black cauldron and great mouse detective what wonderful kids movies are all kind of scary or sad and yeah. <laughs> they weren't they weren't kind of capitalizing on knowing parents had to watch these movies with their kids where I feel like Robin Hood was enjoyable for all parties because it had that kind of Errol Flynn action, but also was like adorable. And yeah, I would say honestly, uh, I mean, I feel like I know I've had a ton of fun, but overall anyone listening to this, if they're wondering if they're hoping to talk more about the movie, just this one, you can definitely put it on the list as a classic that you can put on and was, yeah, there's a lot you could, poke at with like the animation thing but mm-hmm. all in all a delightful movie like a, a very enjoyable delightful yeah. like I said nothing problematic really uh kids can enjoy it and parents yeah this one it's it's honestly yeah. weird it's like everyone knows about it but it i feel like it's a little slept on in that yep just because now having seen it again for the first time in a very long time it's like yeah that was it's better than it has any right to be Yes, you are. You are so correct. Um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping with Disney Plus now, I'm, I mean, I'm already even seeing through our social media, my personal social media, that um, a lot of people are watching movies that I went, how have you never seen this movie? But they were like, yeah, I just never, never thought about watching it before. And I was like, what? How is that possible? Um, uh, and so, you know, so it is interesting. And hopefully people are. Um, 
watching some more of these, what I consider the canonical classics. No, I will say they're, while they call this a musical, I don't particularly consider this a musical. Um, and it's the first film that marks uh, is the first film that was released after the Sherman brothers left Disney as the studio musician, as the studio score writers, the studio, the studio music guys. And cause he, they wrote a bunch of songs for Aristocats and they, uh, most of them got thrown out. Um, and so the ones that were left were like scales and arpeggios and the cutesy, cutesy stuff, the kittens sing. Um, and this movie marks the first Disney movie that, um, animated movie specifically that did not have the Sherman brothers and the sound is different. And while I think the sound should be different because it, I like Oodalali because it does have that 1970s Americana folk sound that was very popular, very John Denver, very mm-hmm. um, Paul Simon, but it also has what I expect a medieval story to have this kind of the, the what the Bard's music should sound like for this time. And, um, but I think it's one of those. This is again, we're starting to see the steps of change in the in this in the studio, and this is the first one. And so it's interesting to if you compare this to Little Mermaid in the steps that happened in uh, from 73 to 89 and kind of how yeah. the company changed is, is uh, kind of astounding. It is weird to call us a music because I didn't, it's like, yeah, Udalali is of course great. And then I feel like I, it's one of those things, the songs are definitely background, more background. They don't, they're not, yes. they're not, they're not far in front. Like it's one of those things where I'm aware there's a song when they're dancing in the forest, mm-hmm. like when there, there's like a romantic love song, couldn't tell you one lyric from it. It doesn't stick. Nope. Um, and then there's the kind of the little like parody joke song. Little John makes up making fun of, yep. of uh, Prince John. Um, side note. I love how there's two characters named John in this fucking movie. <laughs> in all of Robin. Yes, in, in Robin yes, in general. Yes. How did I never really think about that? There's, and it's, that's kind of lazy on the original writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't, I remember seeing some review or something. There's five songs. I'm like, where? <laughs> five songs? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the soundtrack had seven songs on it, plus a few little things in the middle. And it's uh, the whistle stop, um, which is the whistles going into Udalali. And then there's Udalali. And then there's Love, which is Nancy Adams performed, which I'm guessing is the um, Maid Marian dancing yeah. song. And then the Phony King of England, a Phony King of England reprise. Um, Another song, not Nottingham, which I don't really. Oh, well, well that's another. Um, that's the the sad song that the bard plays oh, when, the, when everybody's getting thrown out of their homes. Okay, yeah. And then, the, and then there's like a love Udalali reprise that the the studio chorus did for the final credits. But I was like, this is not a musical because even if you compare this to Pete's Dragon, which I believe was seventy six, that has eight songs in it that all progress uh-huh. the plot because the whole idea of a musical, especially because at this point we're in Andrew Lloyd Webber has had his first musicals produced. Sondheim is running Broadway, like all these things. And so we're getting the musical has progressed yeah. to be what we know the it's, musical as today. So like it's not progressing the plot any. So I definitely would not call correct. this. Uh, yeah. If, if music, if it feels like the, even Udalali, which is awesome, it still feels like the kind of the background like it's like yeah. Like a, it still feels more like a soundtrack. Whereas a, a musical, the in my mind, the song is front and center, and there's no doubt in your mind. Yeah, and you're and you're really wrapped up in, and it's almost like th- the difference is 
in a musical, the visuals are there to support the song. Whereas yeah. in this, it felt like the song was there supporting the visuals. So it's more like, that's why I don't think of it as, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The music was in the background more for this. If these are like tiles mm-hmm. on your, on your, if you're like doing some kind of graphic design, like move Photoshop, move to the front, move to the back. It's like, yeah. um, and I'm just thinking of like, especially recent big Disney Pixar musicals where it's like the song it's, it's very, it's very, very like, like Moana or something. It's like very like, this is song time. Everyone pay attention to the song. The song yeah. is the star yeah. of the scene. Everything else is just there to support the song. Um, well, and even in like Coco where the music was intrinsically part of mm-hmm. the plot and it wasn't a musical moment, but it was, it was a musical because, the music is wrapped into the culture and the storytelling. And so it was still one of those things that they took. Yeah. It still took center stage for those moments where this, it just Mm -hmm. didn't. And I think that's okay. I think this would have been silly, uh, sillier than it is. And I'm not sure it would have worked if it had been like a full Disney animated musical. Oh no, I'm not saying that's a bad thing about this. I just think, I don't know if you can call it. No, 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 not at all. And I realized another distinction too is yes, you have the bard who's singing a couple times, and he's shown as being part of the world, but he's kind of outside mm-hmm. as well because he's talking to, he's breaking the he fourth is. wall. So other than him, you none of the songs are being sung by the... And again, Little John is doing... That's not fair. Yeah. Okay. But it's just not enough of like the characters themselves are singing. Right. And they're, they're right. not singing to the audience. Or they're not singing... They're, they're, right. Like, even, Phony King England, yes, Little John's singing it, but it's like... He's just kind of singing it to the other characters. It's not for us, yeah. the audience. It's for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, in that period, it would have been very common because there's no recorded anything. Yeah. So they would have, you know, they would have been singing little ditties. Um, and it makes, you know, it makes sense. It sounds like a court song. It sounds like a silly pub mm-hmm. song, um, which, you know, again, is appropriate for the time. You know, it's, it's, I don't mind our tangents we've been having just cause like, uh, we found this with Aristocats too, that there's as much as I love these movies, there's not a, always a ton to talk about with them. Um, no. and so I think, I mean, I feel of, like it's a good sign because it's one of those things where yeah, it's, <laughs> I feel like honestly, the better it is, there's less to say. Cause like, it's a good movie. It's enjoyable. Like, yeah. You know, watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I think Peter Pan, I had to cut Eddie and I off cause there was just so much that while It's so, which is so interesting to think that Peter Pan is so widely known and widely popular and meaning even in like queer culture, it's a whole, we have the whole Peter Pan complex of, of Mm -hmm. things. And just like Peter Pan is just such a, where I would argue that like with Robin Hood, there are always adaptations of it. There are always new versions of it, but for some reason Pan sticks and Robin Hood doesn't. And I'm I'm not sure if it's the magical element of it or that it happens about a hundred years ago now or, or what it is. Cause there's, there's something to me just as fun maybe, as when, when that, <laughs> maybe the sub, the problem, we didn't know what problematic was at the time as a kids, but something about it stuck yes. in our brain, whether for good or ill, it's yeah. just stuck in there is memorable, but cause it's not even just the, and I don't want to steal the thunder from that episode. Cause it's the native no, Americans yeah, are a huge, big glaring issue. I mean, but that's not even – there's other things with Tinkerbell and – Oh, yeah. yeah. Tinkerbell and Wendy, like all the women – all the female characters yeah. are coded su- in such a terrible way. Um, you know, and but it also was 1953, so 
Um, again, we, we talk about this a lot on this podcast that I'm a purveyor of, we need to have the conversation that it was a different time, but not say that it was right because it was oh, a yeah, different we have time. That. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it was wrong, yeah. but, every, but white people were like, you know what? We, we're going to call the shots and it's fine. And it's, we, we talk about that fine. all the time on rewatch too, where there's different, there's different degrees, but also at the same time, mm-hmm. none of it is excusable because you can watch plenty of movies from those same, from those same eras that are, have no issues. So it's very yeah. fine. It's very doable to do it without doing those. So mm-hmm. on one mm-hmm. hand, it's like, yeah, the time. And the other well, hand, it's like, yeah, but being shitty is being shitty regardless of era. <laughs> like, you're being yeah. Yes. Yeah. Snaps around. I agree. Um, so because you're a parks person, we're talking about Disney classic movies a little bit, even though we moved through the, the era. Um, so talking about Disneyland earlier, we at Disney World have lost a lot of those classic era rides, except for Peter mm-hmm. Pan, where out in Disneyland, you still have Pinocchio. You've got Sin, uh, Snow White. You have the Sleeping Beauty walkthrough. You've got Mr. Toad. Um, you have Peter Pan out there as well. Um what do you think it is about those classic movies that create that kind of led them to never? Oh, and Alice in Wonderland, they mm-hmm. have Alice as well. That they haven't, because like at Disney World, we kind of keep getting new stuff where out there they kind of leave the classics. What do you think it is that kind of appeals with those classic stories to a, a, like a dark ride format? So I think as far as the, I, I, and what do I know? Like I'm not, <laughs> this is, yeah. this is me just ranting and raving from my basement as far as who knows, you know, there, there's no rhyme or reason to this reasoning as far as why those rides have endured. Um, I think it's just kind of a mix of nostalgia <clears throat> and tradition because I mean, I think we mm-hmm. can't underestimate how strong of a force that can be when something's imprinted on us. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can forgive you. You find, I think we all find ourselves forgiving a lot of sins in media if we loved it as a kid. Um, and the other one, too, is I oh, think yeah. it has something to do with just the space available because they're so limited mm-hmm. with what they can do mm-hmm. in Anaheim as opposed to, you know, uh, in a Disney World where they literally own their own municipality, essentially, with all this mm-hmm. land. Mm-hmm. And, they, and the zone, I'm sure the zoning laws, I'm, again, I'm not an expert, but I'm sure the zoning laws are a lot more free out, you know, yes. <laughs> kiss me than they are in freaking Los Angeles, right? So I'm sure it's just, it's a fact, I'm sure even more than the nostalgia, I'm sure it's a factor of logistics, right? Like, what would we do yeah. here? Like, with this space? Because those rides don't take up yeah. much space, those classic dark room rides. They're, they're very compact. They, they're, so it's like, what are. else would you do? And I guess that's a big thing is where mm-hmm. I'm sure they've had those meetings where people come in, like, we need to revolu- revitalize. And then I'm sure they have more veterans you know, on the team, they're like, great. What are we going to do? You have this much square footage. This yeah. is how high it can be. This is our budget. Tell us, tell us what we can do. You know what I mean? And it's, well, yeah. Like looking at Mr. Toad, I think Mr. Toad, um, Peter Pan and Alice are all back to back of each other. And this even happened before when they redid Alice and Mr. Toad, they had to blow out the walls between the two anyway and shut down all the rides. But I think the way current, well, we also have to look at when you're building from scratch now the current safety oh, yeah. codes and what has to happen. So I, I mean, honestly, I feel like looking at that area, they would probably blow out Alice 
Mr. Toad and Peter Pan to do one new attraction, which then you're going, wait, we're losing three attractions, which is three wait times, which is three ways to shuffle people, more people Mm -hmm. through than one super new attraction that we know is going to have a five hour wait for the first two years. And, you know, while it could be cool, the dark rides are either really great or they're, you know, they're, you know, we're going towards the Ratatouille and the Rise of Resistance as, as dark rides go. And, or even like, um, Mystic Manor in Shanghai and uh, not Shanghai, uh, uh, Hong Kong. And, um, you know, there's these new ways that we're telling stories through attractions. Um, but going on them for the first time, they're so charming. And I had so much fun, yeah. even for as short as they are. I love Alice. I I wish we had an Alice yeah, attraction here fun. other than the teacups. Yeah. Um, because I know Disney World, they were building more. They were thinking about food. They were thinking about long-term and longevity in a way that looking at Disneyland, it's more about snack carts. And, you know, I didn't go to Disneyland for the food. I ate a ton of food while I was there because the snacks are amazing. But I did, at no point found myself like, oh, let's go do a sit-down mm-hmm. meal. Where in Disney World, again, the my family, because they went. My grandmother passed away, and then I think my 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 parents went with my sister like five years in a row every summer, and I went with them once. It was my first time I went, and my parents are very very big food people, so like you know the reservations and the dinners those were uh, an intrinsic part of our the the Disney experience. Oh, for yeah, us. we said our we we do our reservations like six months in advance as soon as you're allowed to like. For some certain restaurants and stuff, because you have to if, I'm if so, you want to get you have to listen. Anybody out there? I'm helping a friends this coming week um, plan their honeymoon, yeah. and and they were like, "Well, do we need to like fully plan every day?" I was like, "You need to know what fast passes you need every day, and you need to oh, know yeah, where you're we, eating. Any, we'll, anything else is, is will, open." But if, like, like my, my if my sister in law is coming with us, and so, it, so mm-hmm. it'll literally be like my wife and my sister in law on two different computers in the same room, being like logged in, like ready to go. To like get fast passes and I stuff like that. this. Like, all right, you're doing That's this. So you're doing good. these dates for all our whole party. I love because the app you can link your whole party together and everything. Yeah, so it's like all right, yep. and we'll like have our preferred list. And it's like all right, first and foremost, like on Animal Kingdom Day for whoever's doing Animal Kingdom, we're going on the Wednesday of this trip. You're getting that flight, you know, flight of passage. Boom, first and foremost, we're an yeah, expedition Everest, Kilimanjaro Safari, all the you know like. And we plan yeah. all those, and then restaurants too, where it's because there's some there's some you can, but like Le Cellier in Canada or California Grill, <sighs> Le, Le Cellier, you are uh, not getting it without a reservation, yeah. and you need to make nope. it months nope. in advance. Like it's <laughs> yep, yep, it's so good though. Oh man, just the cheese soup. Uh, it's the well, soup, the pretzel bread. They uh, they're doing a brunch right now for Festival of the Arts that is a prefixed eight course I brunch. I want for sixty seven dollars, and I I almost did it. Because they did like a Canadian avocado toast, mm. but like, and they, but then they're doing um, uh, two new beer so cheese it, soups. And Canadian I was like, is it just, it's a Canadian, fl- is it just avocado toast and then just topped with a pile of bacon and syrup? Pretty much. No, no syrup, but there is definitely bacon and tomato sticking out of the top of it. But there's lots of little, it's like an eight course thing. And I was like, oh, I want to do this so bad. Uh, But when I brought, I brought my parents down last March and that was the one thing that they were, I was like, listen, we're doing Le Cellier, but we're going for lunch, but it's fine because I can get a lunch reservation 30 days out. It was fine. Um, Don't eat breakfast. But like, you know, don't eat breakfast. Oh, 
Ah. Oh, it's so good. Well, even then we did like, we all did the beer cheese soup and then just did like two appetizers mm-hmm. each. And it was, uh, you know, it's a lot of money, but it is so delicious. Um, well, and I love now that you can get the Lacellier poutine at the, the quick yeah, yeah. service cart just on the inside of Canada. Um, cause they do one with brisket now. It's mm-hmm. so good. Um, but it's just, you know, everyone should, I say a true Disney fan's life is not complete if you don't do um, both coasts at least once in your life. Oh, yeah. I say it's, well, I, I still love the idea of Disney as a once in a lifetime thing for a lot yeah. of people. Um, Cause like statistically it is it's still, so expensive and they're uh, raising for some, path rates and stuff. Cause well, they want, they feel like they're doing too much. They, they want to thin out the park crowds. Cause well, it's, it's because the, being a pass holder, like the other day we went and I was like, this is the dead weeks, but it was gridlocked because they've started instituting new like cheerleading competitions. Mm-hmm. They did state championships at ESPN. So we had 15,000 cheerleaders and their families in the parks on a weekend in February. And it was like a 120 minute wait for Haunted Mansion. I was like, guys, we're going Uh, home. We're going home. One thing I want to shout (laughs) out though, because I I could talk about Disney World and the food and stuff there forever. I want to shout out about Lisa attractions. Best attraction in my humble opinion, IMHO, uh, at Disneyland that's not Disney World, and if they ever get rid of it, I'll cry, is it's this boat ride where you go under through the mouth of the whale from Pinocchio. The story Yeah, book, and then the all, again, book. miniatures, so guys. Cute. If you like miniatures and you yeah. see it, they have all the different, like, castles and s- these gorgeous m- little miniature, almost like the scale of, like, a you'd see, like, you know, trains, you know, like those train model train villages, like that scale. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. As you know, obviously, for anyone who doesn't. It's so cool. Oh, yeah. You just go on this lazy boat ride, and then you see these gorgeous, highly detailed, so well-made model miniature recreations of you know all everything you know and they have at this point they have arendelle from frozen in there now you know and towards the end of it yeah just gorgeous little villages and settings from all the classic movies and it just looks if you're like a mini if you're a miniature geek it's it's yeah I like it more than my kids. It's my very, like, I just want to, I want to see them. Like, I, I wanna, yeah. It's, it's very, very cool though. Um, they put me and three other plus size people in that boat at the same time and getting in and out of it. We almost literally oh. ate shit, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, it was so cute. And it was, I was just so tired at that point, And I was so happy for 10 minutes to mm-hmm. sit in a boat and look at really pretty sets. Um, uh, I asked about Indiana Jones because oddly enough, it's like one of my two favorite Disneyland attractions. Really? That and I love the – well, I hate Extinction. I don't like it. It's not fun. It hurts. It. I literally – if anybody ever wants to be evac off of a Disney ride, come to Animal Kingdom with me because I can never, ever complete uh, – I got extinction. I got out of it. It always our breaks down. Was too small for it, and she wasn't. She, so I was like, "You guys oh, take, you can take our world." Yeah, you guys you take go. Yeah. You guys go. Um, but yeah, I've done the last four times I've gotten on the ride. It's broken down, and I've been evac'd every time. Yeah. So it's uh yeah it's uh it's it's something. But um, I really liked Indiana Jones, but I always got to sit in the front, and then the last day I was there, I sat in the back, and it was the worst experience really? ever. Um, well, yeah, it's that back corner. It's just you get the brunt of the mm-hmm. shakiness, and it, it, it it's a little painful. Um, but I also really liked um, uh, Roger Rabbit, the Roger Rabbit ride in Toontown is so yeah. much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at California Adventure, Radiator Springs Racers is so much fun. And I love, I know you're not a big coaster. My wife and I love that the 
roller coaster at California Adventure. It used to be just like it used to be like a Mickey Mouse themed one. Now it's now it's the Incredicoaster. The Incredicoaster. As someone who I love like theme park layout and theme park building. Um, one, it's impressive that Disney kind of built that pier and just got, I don't want to call it generic, but they just got some generic things that everyone likes. Um, but the way the Incredicoaster is, it is laid out really mm-hmm. cool. And the way they do the inversion and everything, I think it's really nifty. It is the one ride I opted not to ride that I could have, but I was like, you know what? I don't like inversions. This is just not going to be fun for me. <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh it is interesting but um you know if if there was one thing from Disneyland that you could bring to Disney World what what would it be um oh man I I've already mentioned the storybook boat ride so that's up there yeah I do like how you can walk through the castle they do it you know like and you see that's fun yeah um I'm trying to think of something from California Adventure I do my wife and I we really like that roller coaster I like that the Guardians uh-huh. of the Galaxy I'm just, is cool, but they're building their own unique original Guardian of the Galaxy ride at Disney World. Currently. Yes. Um, looks like it's going to be fucking be spinning. massive. It's a spinning coaster. Yeah. And there's a, they're building some other one in Magic Kingdom. I think it's Tron that looks huge. Tron. It's so oh, big. I like, am it's re- I am I again not a coaster yeah. person, but I wanted to ride that since I saw the video from Hong Kong and Shanghai. Yeah. Now I will recommend for anyone who's coming soon. Um, they have two of the ride vehicles out already. They are not tall people friendly. My weight, no issue. I could not fit my legs into the holsters um, because of my length of legs. So oh no, everybody, I have long if ass you legs. are going to be. Um, so they might cram me in, but it'll be one of, it'll, is it, it'll is be the Tron one, you ride like motor, the motorcycles or whatever you do, you lay kind of face down and put your legs into harnesses, not a harness, but they're like go down and Action, up and yeah, down yeah. and then you push forward. So the locking mechanism is you have to push forward the handlebars and they close down over your calves and over your back and you're locked Kinda in. Like- to the, like the, the flight of passage. Kind of like flight of passage. Like, yeah, you're laid out way more. You're almost horizontal on the, the light the, the light righteous. cycle. Um, and they lock you in. It felt really – when they finally got it locked in, my legs did hurt a little bit. Um, but it is like a three-minute coaster, two and a half minutes. So if you can get through it, you right. can get through it. But um, – it is it is one I recommend much like the Harry Potter rides at Universal. Come try that ride vehicle before you wait mm-hmm. in line because it is going to have colossal weights when it does open with a lot of the Magic Kingdom. But next year is a Magic Kingdom um, anniversary, so I'm excited. Yeah. I start working there in August, so I'm excited to be there if for I had all more of time, this. I told my wife, now, we should, I wish we had more time. She were both so effing busy. I wish we, I would love to do like a Disney. Yeah. I mean, there's a bajillion of them, blogs, you know, about them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all should do a let's rewatch live from Disney from Would Disney World. Fucking let's, love to. <laughs> we talked about we have a well, couple uh, ideas on how we could do our show in a live format because you can't yeah. show the movie and no one's gonna gonna sit there for four right. hours. Which is what that right. would be to do. Right. So like right. the idea I we had talked about that where is is like we would um have a guest like MC kind of and we would write down predictions like very like purposely, oh, like yeah. ridiculously bold predictions in a sealed envelope and then come out having just watched the movie and basically do the back half, but read our predictions first and then laugh about <laughs> yeah, how long we yeah, are yeah, or yeah. something. Um, I love that. Or like pre-record, like and it would, it would be shorter, like a 10 minute 
conversation about it and like play yeah. it on the screen and then come out having just watched the movie and talk. Yeah. That'd be mm-hmm. so good. That'd be you guys get on the con circuit. I'm sure people we, would that, love hopefully it. long term. We're all there's some <laughs> cool stuff going on there with the crew. Like Ash is killing it uh, yes. with her short film. You know, her short film zombie. Yeah. Head. Um, and she's got another one in the works, and uh, it's won awards. It's been at like 13 or 14 different festivals, film festivals, and uh, won two, I think, at this point for like best in category or something. And it's such a good. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see it. Obviously, it's you can't make it public yet because it's still doing the festival right. circuit. Um, Brett and Sam have really cool projects behind there and produ- you know working on behind the scenes. So and we talk about it. we're all we're all got some cool. I, I joke because like we should make our own like radio like audio fiction group because we have I'm a writer, Ash is a director, uh, Brett. It, Brett, Sam is an animation producer. Um, Brett is like highly technical, like editing, like film editing and digital stuff. So it's like, man, we're also busy. We need to do something. We should just. <laughs> we're also busy. Let's do this. Oh, one isn't that it? Though together. isn't that the, the life great. of a, a I mean, 2020 that's, that's content always, creator? Yeah. It's like, oh fuck, I'm so busy. And then it's like that. That would be a tweet. That's a tweet where it's like, me, fuck, I'm so busy. There's not enough hours today to do everything I need to. All the projects I'm working on. Uh, friend, you want to start a podcast about blank me size? Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, it was like the other day I messaged you in case and I was like, hey, I have this idea for another show. Is it a good idea? And y'all are like, I don't know. Do you have time? And I was like, no, yeah. but let's do it. I was like, yeah, like you and me. I feel um, like you and me, if we weren't, I could do, totally do like a Disney dudes. Disney dudes. <laughs> oh, I would die. That'd be so good. Well, Pat, it has been so good having you on the show. Um, you've given us kind of your, your buzz of what's going on, but do you have anything coming up soon that I you mean, want yeah, to I mean, I can do a 30-second rundown. I would say if you found me at all not awful, my personality, <laughs> and you're, you're interested in more, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm at the Pat Edwards. I have a website, thepatedwards.com. I have a newsletter there you can sign up for. Um, we do, you know, I do it once a month. I just started it. First one came out in January. You know, it's like things like news. I'll do short, throw short stories in there that aren't available anywhere else that you can read. Um, I do shout outs to other content creators every month, kind of like a highlight. So you can sign up for it at awesome. and you can see, you know, everything I'm working on there. As a quick rundown, I would say right now here, you can listen to my podcast, Let's Rewatch. You can check out the Happy Geekly Inc. presents the Happy Hell Hour on Twitch uh, live. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, or you can watch episodes on YouTube. It will be out as a podcast at some point in the near future because we've recorded all of them. Um, writing, space tripping, my first novel, ebook, paperback, audible, second one coming out, hopefully by year end. It's in production right now. And the Red Opera is the D&D campaign book that I co-wrote. That will be coming out hopefully also later in this year. Keep your eyes peeled because we're going to do a Kickstarter with some ridiculous, really awesome rewards and stretch goals that we were working on and putting together. And it's gone Mm -hmm. so well that actually myself, the head writer and another writer who kind of consulted with us that didn't have time to go full, you know, all the way in, we're probably because we've been approached to do another one. And we have our own ideas. So depending on how this goes, we're looking at forming an LLC specifically that starts creating original D&D campaign books. 
Yes, that's awesome. Well, and so Pat, make sure you send me that info because I'll make sure it's up on our blog and all of our social media yeah. as well. Because we have a lot of a lot of people like myself that are listening to the podcast or that are involved with me here are all kind of D and D players as well. So I D&D love that. I have awesome. a document. <laughs> it is. It's so good. I'm sure. It's I feel so like we good. all have documents of like. 30 ideas long of different characters we want to play. It's, it's just never ending document. Yeah. Yes. I've been listening to, um, a D and D playthrough podcast called, uh, the encounter mm-hmm. party and they have a, a bard war drummer uh, or uh, not a bard, uh, a minotaur war drummer. And because ever since then I was like, I want to play a minotaur bard who has no idea that he is not nearly as attractive or charismatic <laughs> as he should be as a bard. That's great. And, uh, but yeah, no, I just, I have a, a notes on my phone. I'm I like, have, yes, these yeah. are all the characters. And I, I have plenty, <laughs> I have plenty that I'm aware enough that like they only work for like a one to two hour one shot. Cause they would get annoying. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like this, like yeah. one, I want to oh, do yeah. like a paladin. Yeah, yeah. That's basically Tommy was so from room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. But I'm like, that would get, <laughs> that would be funny for our session. Like not a year long campaign. Yeah, well, Cause I could just see it going. You run into a bunch of goblins and it goes, well, I'm daring yes, you apart. Yes. Lisa I love Goblin. the fucking dragon. It'd be so, so. good. <laughs> well, well, Pat, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Nerf Herders, my name is Case Aiken, and for over two years, I've hosted my show, Another Pass, where I sit down with interesting guests to talk about movies that we find fascinating but flawed. Good movies, bad movies, doesn't matter. We find ways that they could have been improved. So if you ever thought that a sequel dropped the ball by forgetting about a plotline, that an epic could have been saved by introducing the director to an editor, or that a comedy didn't work hard enough to have some substance behind the laughs, then check out Another Pass podcast at certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Dole Whip and Dreams. We'd like to thank everyone over at the Certain POV Media family for bringing us into the fold along with Pat's show, Let's Rewatch. We joined some of their amazing long-running program like Another Pass, Screen Snark, Reignite, The Man of Steel podcast, and many, many more. You can find all of the network shows at certainpov.com along with a link to our Discord where you can talk about this episode with other dreamers like you. As always, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and thoughtful reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out at doleweapondreamspod.com where you can find show notes and more information on today's episode. Engage with us on Facebook at doleweapondreamspod, on Instagram at doleweapondreams, on Twitter at doleweapod, and on Patreon at doleweapondreamspodcast where only $2 a month can let us keep bringing you the magical content every episode. Now, a big thank you to our sound editor, David White, and our new researcher, Angela Gwynn. I literally could not do the show without you both. Now, join us next time as we take a trip to Neverland with guest Eddie Thompson and discuss Disney's classic, Peter Pan. Now, may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams. <laughs>